Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essay speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. We would also like to inform you of an upcoming Sexaholics Anonymous Internet Marathon. Around the World in 24 Hours will take place starting at noon Universal Time on November 29th and will end promptly at noon Universal Time on November the 30th. It's free to register online at www.sim.sexaholicsanonymous.eu. Thank you very much, and without further ado, welcome to The Daily Reprieve. Hi, everyone. My name is Steve H. I live in San Francisco, California. I am uh, a grateful, recovered sexaholic. My sexual sobriety date is June 15 of 2017. I'm approaching a year, um, and I'm grateful to be, uh, to be here with you all today. I thought I would begin uh, with a set-aside prayer just to kind of ground me a little bit here. Bear with me. Dear God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about this program, the AA Big Book, my illness, my recovery, and you, God, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience. Please help me see the truth about this program, the AA Big Book, my illness, my recovery, and you, dear God. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, I'm I'm grateful to be here. I am. Um, I, I will just acknowledge right right now that I'm the uh, junior most member of uh, a pretty august group of faculty for the workshop today. I'm I'm in awe of the um, experience, strength, and hope of uh, of who we've heard from today. And I hope I can um, add just a little bit um, about kind of how I how I did it. Um, I. Uh, I came into this program about a year ago, um, and I got to tell you, I think I was um, a complete stranger to myself. Um, I thought I was, you know, well-educated, introspective, compassionate, professionally successful, happy, um, and through the uh, just about two years leading up to my coming into the program, when things just got really terrible for me. Uh, it started to become really clear to me that I was not a happy person. I was pretty angry. Um, where I thought I had been ambitious and successful, I was really fearful. I held petty grudges for decades. Um, small slights would set me off. I was not a nice person. I realized I didn't have any lasting friends. Um, and I realized that the kind of professional, quote-unquote, success I had achieved um, was at the expense of a lot of what they call bodies on the side of the road. Um, I didn't come into the program because I wasn't a nice person. I came into the program because I was a full-fledged sex addict. Um, I had uh, culminated uh, basically behaviors and thought patterns that started when I was age 10 or 11 to the point of, I was about to use the word unsustainability, um, the real word is just complete chaos and destruction. Um, I was um, acting out in such, 
you know, ridiculously destructive ways that there's no really other way to characterize it than slowly killing myself. Um, I, <clears throat> I'll get into this a little later. I have an 11-step process of, of meditating every morning. And this morning I was uh, meditating and I, I was thinking about uh, it's Memorial Day. Um, I was thinking about a group of friends that was mountain biking and how um, I'd really prefer to be out mountain biking with them than working on my recovery. And then I realized that that really wasn't the decision that I was looking at. The decision that I was looking at a year ago was life or death. Um, I, uh, I had reached the point where um, I was probably just steps away from um, being dead physically. I was uh, certainly dead, dead spiritually. Um, so I, I, uh, I hit a point of um, complete um, crisis about a year ago and called into an SA telephone call. The group there immediately toggled to first time, um, a first-time participant script. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in my car um, crying, listening to the problem being described from the white book. Um, and it was, it was me. Oh, I took the test. I took the 18 question or whatever it was test and failed or passed, um, however you want to look at it, um, with flying colors. There was absolutely no doubt that, um, that I earned my place in this, in this program. Um, so I started attending, I started attending um, SA calls, and I was quote-unquote sober. Um, I had found a group that had um, what I wanted, and I, uh, spent the first, I spent the first couple of months participating in meetings, um, but not, not happy. Um, I was initially um, consoled by the fact that there were others that had been where I was and obviously were not anymore. Um, and, and I heard a kind of mixture of paths on how they got there. Um, some said 90 meetings, 90 days. Some said three meetings a day. Some said you have to go to meetings in person. That's what really counts. Um, and some said you have to do the steps. Um, the program is the steps. And during that early time period, um, you've all heard the phrase restless, irritable, and discontent. That was me. Um, and I got especially restless, irritable, and discontent when I was in a SA meeting and someone would read from the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book. I would think to myself, oh, good grief. I mean, how many books do I need for this recovery? Why are we reading from a book for alcoholics? Um, what does this have anything to do with my problem? Um, if you haven't figured it out, I was a judgmental jerk when I came into this program and constantly getting in my own way when people were offering me solutions that, that could help me. And there I was doing it again with a big book. <clears throat> so to the extent anyone's listening to this and thinking, why are we talking about the big book? Join the club. I was right there. <laughs> I had no clue why we were reading a book about alcoholics when I was a sex addict. Um, I uh, white-knuckled it uh, through some additional meetings. I started writing out what's referred to sometimes as a first step, which was really just kind of a long history of behavior that made me really unhappy. Um, and I was going to meetings, 
And I was hearing a lot in meetings about um, people relapsing or people not feeling good about their programs. It seemed like the people with a lot of um, recovery weren't really going to meetings much or I wasn't hearing much from them, um, the exception being this, this noon call. Um, and through the grace of God, I got onto the WhatsApp group for the noon call and saw a help wanted <laughs> ad from a guy in New York who said, um, hey everyone, I'm sponsoring. Anybody who would like to sponsor, hit me up. And I had heard, I'd heard this guy share in a couple prior meetings um, and what he had said resonated with me. So I texted him and um, we went through that kind of, there's really no parallel in, in, in real life to what the first conversation with a potential sponsor is like. I, uh, I, to this day, don't know who's interviewing who, um, but I guess in the uh, 11 or so months that I've been doing this, I, I've come to believe it's um, God putting a resource um, in front of two people, um, the resource for the person who's looking for a sponsor is obvious, and as you've heard today and as you'll hear from me at the end of this talk, the um, the resource for the person who's sponsoring is the sponsee. Um, once, once I got through the 12 steps, uh, I was taught the only thing that's going to keep me sober um, is helping others, or the primary thing that's going to keep me sober is helping others. So those are resources um, really for both parties when that first conversation occurs with a sponsor. And um, I'll try not to repeat too, too much of my prior shares, but I told my um, my potential new sponsor, how hard I had been working on the first step uh, story. And um, he said, well, hold on, hold on just a second. I need to tell you a little bit about how I, a little bit about how I got sober and how, um, how I would recommend that you get sober. And it's by following the uh, 12 steps as laid out in the big book and as implemented by the first 100 alcoholics. Um, and there I had to deal with all of those judgments and prejudices I had. Um, why, are we, why are we dealing with the big book? Um, but I'll tell you, at that point, I was probably about 30 to 45 days into um, technical sobriety without any form of happiness or joy whatsoever. And I was uh, pretty much willing to take um, whatever recommendation um, someone gave me. And my sponsor seemed to... Um, have what I wanted. Uh, so he had me pull out a big book. Um, I actually had to go to an AA meeting and buy a big book. And um, I, uh, I set up a phone call with him and we um, got to work. And the first thing that we did is he, um, he pointed me to the forward of the first edition, uh, which is found on page Roman numeral 12. Uh, that's, I'm sorry, 13, X-I-I-I. And this is what that first paragraph says. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Well, that was me. Um, I was hopeless. And here's a group that had recovered. It goes on. To show other alcoholics in italics, precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. 
For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. Well, that sounded pretty good to me. Um, and I wanted to hear more. He took me then to Roman numeral page 20, XX, which is the forward to the second edition. And at the top of that page, it re, it, uh, it's reciting the history of AA, and it says, AA, groups, uh, AA grew by leaps and bounds. For this, there were two principal reasons. The large number of recoveries and reunited homes these made their impressions everywhere. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. And I had, um, I had, uh, had a number of friends that had been through recovery programs. As I said, I'd been through a number of meetings um, witnessing people going through recovery programs. And I, had to, I have to say, I, uh, I, I think there's a little bit of controversy over quote-unquote success rates in 12-step programs today, but I saw 75% here, and I thought, I, I, I'm sitting here with a, a debilitating, life-threatening disease and I'm being offered various forms of uh, treatment for it. And it was almost like I, I, I was kind of telling myself, if I had cancer and the oncologist was sitting there listing the various kinds of recoveries that were, were possible, which one would I, which one would I pick? Um, and a 75% success rate was, I'll just say, one that I, I had not been offered um, in other 12-step programs. Um, and I, I chose that one. I said, I'll, I'll take this. Um, the, the text of the big book has not changed for 80 years. It, the, the thousands, um, tens of thousands, uh, millions of people that have uh, used the 12 steps from the Alcoholics Anonymous big book, every time they sit down to rewrite the darn thing, they, they add a couple new stories at the end, but they've agreed that the basic text should not be changed. And my sponsor told me that, and that, that had some compelling components to it as well. But the last thing I'll say is that the um, description of the problem that I had in the excerpts that I just read of what I was struggling with as an illness as opposed to some form of um, moral sinfulness or weakness uh, really helped help me then, helps me today to tackle this thing um, as I would tackle something like, like any, other, any other disease. Um, I, I, I need to tell myself that this is not a matter of Steve deciding you know, to do something that was bad. Um, this is not Steve failing to be good yet once again. Um, I had lived that way for, I'm 54 today, and I had lived that way for um, as long as I can remember, and that, that did not seem to have brought me to a place that I would say was um, gloriously successful in terms of happiness and joy. Um, 
So with that launching pad, and, and I'm leaving out a good deal of what I went through with my sponsor, we, we got to work um, on the steps. And um, I, I was um, focused on, on two things by him, which is the, um, the two components of my illness, focusing on the physical component of my body and then the mental component of my mind. And I'll just point out now that the, the component for recovery that has helped me with this is a spiritual component. So bar, borrowing from the, um, the YMCA, I, I draw a triangle that I put next to my computer that has body, mind, and spirit on it. And I try to focus on that when I'm thinking about um, this illness and my recovery. So let me talk, let me talk um, quickly about, about my problem. Um, my problem has, as I said, a physical component and a mental component. And in the big book, there, um, there was included something called the doctor's opinion. And that has been in the big book from the very beginning. And uh, it contains some very helpful language for me to realize that um, one of my problems was a physical one. If you turn to uh, page Roman numeral 26, XXVI, in the middle of the, uh, a few lines down from the signature line, uh, William D. Silkworth, there's a line, in this statement, he, Dr. Silkworth, confirms what we who have suffered from alcoholic, that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. And then turning two pages later, to Roman numeral 28, XXVIII. The first full paragraph talks about an allergy. And it says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly, astonishingly difficult to solve. And the concept of an allergy uh, interests me as, interested me as much as it um, interested the authors of, of the big book um, because of this concept of craving and the lack of control that I experienced with sexual acting out when I, quote unquote, dip my toe in the water. When, when I told myself that I would um, only um, participate in sexual activity for X number of minutes or X frequency or of X type of character, uh, I, would, I would break that promise to myself every single time. I would find myself in a situation where I would lose hours or days to the activity I would find myself building up tolerances to particular activity. If pornography wasn't going to do it for me, maybe an actual human being could. If one human being wasn't enough, change human beings. I was acting with a craving that I could not control. Once I started, I couldn't stop. And uh, the analogy of um, someone who um, can't eat peanuts uh, because they go into anaphylactic shock, someone who can't eat strawberries because they break out into rashes. Um, for me, someone who um, 
can't begin uh, playing around with bus because once I start, I wind up in a place where um, I am not in control. I, I have no control over my actions once I start the craving, um, which um, starts almost immediately with the first quote-unquote drink or lustful thought. So the, um, the physical component of the allergy um, was something that I certainly had experienced. And then the, um, the mental component to the illness was the one that really um, uh, I, I found most, uh, most of my 12-step work um, focused on. Um, because if, if, I never, if I were allergic to peanuts, I wouldn't eat peanuts. It's not like I would stand in the grocery store aisle and stare longingly at the rows and rows of peanuts thinking, gosh, I wish I could do that. Um, that was the case with, with my sexual acting out, and it was certainly the case with the, uh, the alcoholic. Um, when I do it, I can't control it, and when I uh, am not doing it, I want to do it. And not only do I want to do it, but after a period of time, I forget the, the ramifications that um, almost certainly occur every time that I try to do it. And that gets into the, the mental obsession component of this program. The, the um, complete amnesia that I would have um, when I would tell myself for the 500th time, this time I'm only going to look at this type of material for this period of time and break that promise to myself, um, forgetting the ramifications from the last time that I did it. Um, the big book has a, right after the, um, the doctor's opinion, uh, the next chapter is Bill's story. And in Bill's story, um, there, are, uh, there are untold number of relapses that Bill had where he would um, make a promise to himself that he wasn't going to drink again, and yet he would drink again. Um, I had had so many promises to myself um, not to act out that I had, uh, I had no problem uh, acknowledging that the uh, illness for me was as much in, in my mind as it was in my body. Um, and my sponsor took me to a excerpt in the big book on page 24 to help, um, help me understand this. And um, he also told me that when the big book was, when the big book was published, um, setting typeface and font was a very expensive proposition. And whenever you see italics, um, that costs money. And so when you see italics, it's not like today where um, a, a, uh, it's a simple uh, press of a button. You actually had to um, go to some effort and expense. So pay attention to the italics. It's a, it's a short lesson. So focusing on the, sentence, on the paragraph in italics on page 24, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The almost certain consequences that follow, taking even a glass of, a glass of beer, do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps 
one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Well, that was me. Uh, like I said, I, um, I would have a temporary amnesia before every acting out session and um, <laughs> wind up being surprised with the um, incomprehensible um, demoralization that would occur as a result. So this, um, this dilemma of um, uh, an illness that was both mental and physical um, had me, as it probably had most of you, clamoring for a solution. And on um, page 44 and 45 of the big book in the chapter, We Agnostics, the authors of the big book set up the, um, the, the problem and a solution, which of course is you know, throughout the big book, but in a nice, succinct way. Uh, page 44 in the first paragraph, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably an alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. That, um, I, I flunked her path of flying colors, both of those inquiries. When I, if when I honestly wanted to, I, I could not quit my um, sexually addictive behavior. Um, if when I started sexually, uh, sexual behavior, I had, I had little control over it um, and had no control over the amount that I took. So I was uh, diagnosed myself at that point as a full-fledged sexaholic. Um, I uh, wasn't um, battling at this point um, the use of the big book. Um, it had, through the experiences um, that we've read about, described me to a T. So I had the same problem that, that these people had. Um, and they said that they had found a solution. So what was that? Um, page 45, first full paragraph. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be, in italics, a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And here we move uh, to the, the spiritual side of the triangle. And this was one where I, I arrived with a little bit of baggage. Um, I, I didn't have any kind of traumatic experiences with organized religion. But um, coming into the program, I had a lot of skepticism about organized religion. Um, I saw... Um, as has been pointed out, people who were religious but not necessarily spiritual. Um, and as described in a number of places in the big book, I saw um, things happening, um, wars being fought, conduct occurring for quote-unquote religious reasons that made me suspect of, of quote-unquote religion. So I, I was um, uh, a little tentative about the spiritual component and... Um, for that, my sponsor brought me to a couple um, passages in the big book. Let's start with Roman numeral XXVIII28. And we are back in the doctor's opinion for this one. At the bottom of the page, um, it says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. 
The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required, that required to follow a few simple rules. So here you have um, these references to psychic changes. And um, in the first paragraph, the... Uh, um, colossally unpleasant uh, cycle of spree and remorse um, and the solution of a psychic change. But, and it's in a doctor's opinion, which um, I always find kind of ironic. Um, there's another doctor whose opinion appears in the big book on page 27. And um, I won't read this one in detail out of the interest of time, but on page 27, there's an exchange with Dr. Carl Jung, one of the famous um, psychologists and um, a, a suffering uh, alcoholic. And in the middle of page 27, the doctor refers to vital spiritual experiences that are the only way out for people with this um, seemingly hopeless illness. I, um, I found one of the most uh, helpful things for me um, was reading Bill's story and his own prejudices um, to organized religion. And um, he was told, and I was told by my sponsor, get over it. Um, this has um, absolutely nothing to do with anyone else's idea of God or higher power. Pick your own. Um, you, you admit you are powerless, right? And I, I, I had, I was, I was at step one. Um, are you willing to believe that a power greater than you can help restore you to sanity? And I had, guys, I had no other option. I, I was done. Um, human human um, remedies weren't helping, uh, especially my own. I had absolutely no faith in myself. Um, so I took step three. And I felt such an incredible sense of relief um, when, I, when I took step three. Um, when I fired myself, <laughs> when I fired myself as a person in control of my life, I felt liberated. When I realized that I had no control, I, I found um, I was willing to submit to someone else's control. And here's where I just started to feel um, okay with a higher power being in charge of, in charge of my life. Um, on page 62 in How It Works, there are a couple of sentences that um, continue to guide me today. Um, at the top of page 62, uh, the beginning of the first full paragraph, 
selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Well, that was true with me. And then really the bottom paragraph of page 62 has to be one of my all-time favorite, uh, favorites. This is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father, and we are his children. The last part um, felt a little to me like what I was hearing from organized religion, but I could definitely identify with who the employer and the employee was, and I, at step three, like I said, officially fired myself as supervisor. Um, I was going to do what I was told, whether it was through my sponsor or through um, meditation with a higher power. So like I said, I felt good after, after step three. Um, I, uh, I was told when I started this work with my sponsor that um, the, time w- the time in which I, I should think of doing the steps um, was bounded by the time that I had stayed sober without the steps. Um, he just frankly asked me at the beginning, how long have you been able to um, not act out? And I told him four to six weeks. And he told me um, that that's what we had to, to complete the steps. And that's really not contained anywhere in the big book. And, it's not con- and you know, I, um, I think that everybody um, tackles the steps in their own, in their own time. Um, where I bristle sometimes are instructions from, from people on long periods of time to, to go through the steps. Um, that's not the way I recovered. I, I recovered with the steps being a life preserver um, and that I needed to uh, take advantage of them immediately. And if we, if we ratchet back historically to Bill Wilson and, and Dr. Bob and the first 100, they weren't, they weren't operating with a calendar on the steps. Um, they were helping each other um, with their addictions, and then going out and helping people really quickly. Um, some people say that Bill did all the steps in one day at his bed. Um, so I, uh, I don't think, I, I've never really operated with a magic formula for the time period to do the steps, but I did them with a sense of urgency uh, of someone who had a fatal disease. <laughs> I was, these were my medicine. Um, and at this point, um, I started to really use these as my medicine more than anything else, more than, certainly more than meetings. Um, the, uh, the, the step four process that I went through was right out of the big book, um, starting on page 63. And there were, there were three very simple inventories that I had to fill out. And, and, and here, as a couple people have referenced in, in prior sessions, um, I... I was really helped by the analogy of a storekeeper doing inventory. I, I had some guilt and some shame about the way that I had behaved, um, and I needed to um, be objective about this. And, and, and if I started to treat um, some of my resentments um, or my fears or my actions as a storekeeper would, would treat um, rotten fruit, I was taking inventory. I needed to find out um, what had been um, in, the, in the back bins of the store um, rotting and, and, and throw those suckers out if I wanted to, um, if I wanted to stay alive and stay sober. Um, so I, uh, I use that analogy a lot, the, the storekeeper and the, with, with a bunch of produce that he just needs to 
find the rotten stuff and throw it out. And that, that really kind of helped me with not getting ground down too much um, with, um, with guilt about the way that I had, the way that I had behaved. Um, but getting, getting these things down in black and white was eye-opening to me. I mean, again, here I was patting myself on the back as an educated, intelligent, professional. And guys, when I, when I took a look at the, just even my resentments, I was, my first resentment was my father dying of cancer when I was 11. I was actually resentful of my father for dying of a painful form of cancer. And um, I, needed to, I needed to write that out. And gosh, that occurred 44 years ago. And um, I'm, uh, I'm beginning now to grapple with, with those, uh, the emotions of missing my father um, as real emotions and not as just being angry at someone who had abandoned me. Um, so that, uh, <laughs> I, I kept that and I go back and look at it every once in a while just to remind myself how, um, how dramatically wrong I can be um, when I'm trying to judge a situation. Um, the, uh, the step five process was getting, uh, getting the, the contents of the three inventories off my chest with my sponsor and God bless him for listening to that. I, um, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for my sponsor taking me through step five. Um, I, uh, I identified um, quite a bit of things that, um, that had been bothering me. And um, one, of the, one of the things that I'll never forget is after I got through the inventories and was identifying some of my character defects, um, my sponsor said to me, you know, is it okay if I give you some, some candid feedback? And I said yes, although, you know, I probably was hoping he, he would just give me an attaboy like I had been motivated to get for my entire life. And he said, you know, there's one defect I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I, heard, I, heard, I heard you say, but I, I definitely hear it in your story. And I said, what is that? And he said, um, arrogance. And that just really set me off. <laughs> I, uh, I needed a, a good 24-hour period of, of just solid fuming um, at this. Um, he was a younger guy, a 29-year-old guy from New York. Who does he think he is telling me I'm arrogant? <laughs> and sure enough, he put it, he hit the nail on the head. Um, and so the you know the I don't know the revelations um, that come with the uh, the inventories and the step five um, aren't always wanted or invited. Um, or intentional, but they're just all around you uh, when you're doing that process. Um, I, I, like some others, had some problems. Um, the, the, the hiccups for me were in uh, step six and seven when I actually had to give up some of my defects um, because I had actually been defined by them for so long I just couldn't conceive of, um, of how I was going to operate without these, these modes of operating. Um, Arrogance being, you know, at the top of the list. Thank you, sponsor. Um, some of the other ones I identified were scapegoating, um, carelessness, dishonesty, uh, seeking adrenaline all the time, resentments, procrastination, and selfishness. And what I did with those, um, just to kind of help myself rewire some of my circuitry um, or, or learn to send the circuits in a more positive direction was to write opposites um, that I could aspire to. Um, and for arrogance, I wrote humility. For scapegoating, I wrote accountability. For carelessness, I wrote purpose. For lying, I wrote honesty. 
For adrenaline, I wrote calm. For resentment, I wrote forgiveness. For, procrast for procrastination, I wrote achievement. And for selfishness, I wrote generosity. Um, and I have to thank the group. I, um, I actually had to pull this list out to prepare for this call. And um, thank you for putting these front and center for me again. Um, I ultimately got over uh, the thought of uh, giving up these defects and, and gave them up. I wrote out the step seven um, prayer, and I gave that to uh, in in-person meeting, um, crying the entire time I did it. I was so sad to let those defects go. Um, but once again, the step seven prayer is found on page 76. I won't read it here. Um, but uh, there was a sense of relief um, when I delivered that um, seven-step prayer. Um, eight and nine, um, eight is fairly, step eight is fairly ministerial. I'm taking the, um, the victims of my step four and five process um, and, and writing their names down and calendaring um, immediate, soon, um, TBD in terms of when the amend was going to be made. And um, there was a question in an earlier, in an earlier presentation about um, when, the sense of, um, when the sense of the higher power really came, came loud and clear. And for me, that was um, after my first step nine amend. Um, it was, a, it was a, um, an easy one. I, I walked down to Walgreens and I apologized for Oh, I apologize for basically ripping off the drugstore by buying nicotine gum with, with coupons that I knew didn't apply, and I offered to repay the money. Um, I came back from that, guys, and I felt like I hadn't melted into a puddle. Um, a, a bolt of lightning hadn't pulverized me into ashes. Um, and I, it was soon after. It was the next day or a few days after I was, I was um, sitting with my cup of coffee. I... I try to have some quiet time every morning, and I did this before the program just to think about my day. But this particular day, I, I was sitting with my cup of coffee watching the sunrise, and I asked, um, I asked the question, God, are you there? And I don't know what to say. I immediately heard yes. I felt yes. I'm tingling as I talk about it now. It was an um, unmistakable presence of a higher power. And he had been there all along. Um, the uh, a lot of the analogies about the step the step process is that they unblock the the blocks that I had put between me and God. And the ninth step promises um, in the big book say that before we are halfway through, we start to feel peace and comprehend the word serenity. This is on pages 83 and 84. I, I felt peace, boy, and I comprehended serenity, and um, the blocks were gone. Um, I was able to, I have been able in the last year, I think I've missed my morning quiet time twice, um, and each time I had a pretty crappy day full of quote-unquote surprises and um, irritableness. If I can spend some time in the morning just being quiet, and feeling God's presence. I don't, I don't have a lot of prayer or scripture. Um, I'm not on my knees, um, but I'm, I'm with God. And I try, to, um, I try to forecast through the day as I'm sitting there, you know, 
the um, clients or the coworkers or the traffic situations that used to um, disturb me so much, you know, be with me as I go through those, and I, I'm able to call on that sense of calm as the day progresses more and more successfully. Um, am I invincible? Absolutely not. Um, but um, there is a presence there that certainly was not there before. Um, I've been taught that um, 10, 11, and 12 are, are, the, are the continual steps. They are the ones I'm going to have to practice for the rest of my life. Um, and um, they seem to be working. Um, I, had, um, I had some tough love with my sponsor on, on step 10 and really rigorously going through events as they occurred during the day to make sure that I, um, I did the spiritual house cleaning that wouldn't get me in trouble with, with pent-up, unprocessed problems. Um, basically keeping the slate clean that um, we cleaned off when we did steps four and five and then I talked already about my, my step 11 process. Um, for step 12, um, I'll end with um, pointing you all to um, the chapter that begins on page 89. And this is the chapter called Working with Others. And it reads, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they're very ill. That, I, um, I like to think that I am committed to a life of service today. Um, I'll be honest with you, um, there's a certain appeal to step 12 that's selfish. It keeps me sober. I, uh, when I'm working with others um, in a sponsoring capacity, I am going through the steps. Um, I am keeping God close. I am, as they say, getting out of my head, and I'm helping another addict. And um, it's, uh, whether I like it or not, um, it's something that only I can give. Um, I am particularly um, good at talking about being in a formerly hopeless situation. And, you know, each day um, is a new one. Um, but so far, um, helping others uh, in this way, just as the, as the Big Book promises, seems to be the, um, the most effective tool for me to, to stay sober. So um, I, try to, um, I try to keep it um, with my own experience. And when I'm asked a question by a sponsee, um, I, like my sponsor did with me, give the, try to give the most frustratingly honest answer I can to questions, which are usually, what does God tell you in the circumstance? Um, and with that, I think it would probably be fitting for me to um, just end out with the um, page 164, uh, final two paragraphs, um, which applies to the last 45 minutes of my talk. Page 164, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. 
but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. And the steps are um, now summarized um, in the last paragraph of the big book. Abandon yourself to God as you, as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you all for listening. I'm so grateful for you. I'm Steve, a sexaholic from San Francisco, California, signing off. Um, I just want to tell you thank you very much for that comprehensive walk through the big book. I really enjoyed it. I'm a, I love reading about the big book. So we got about 11 minutes, and I'm going to open it up for anybody that has questions for Steve specifically about what he uh, shared on with us and any of the uh, experience that you might like to ask. So, Steve, thank you very much. That was a, that was a wonderful walkthrough. Who would like to, you do need to press star six, and you are being recorded. Who would like to be our first question today for Steve? Hey, this is Hillary in Mass. Can I ask a question? Go ahead, Hillary. Um, thanks, guys, for your service, and um, thanks for sharing and being willing to be recorded. Um, I guess it's – I don't really know how to phrase my question, but um, I feel like it's hard to understand what you're experiencing um, being new in this process like while you're experiencing it. And um, I don't know if I'm just like still going through withdrawal or if this is just part of the process. Um, I'm like a little over three months sober. And I guess there's just like a lot of anger coming up and anger mostly at like the my family who I live with. Um, and I guess, I don't know if you have, like, um, if you saw, like, in your experience, like, specific times um, over your first year where anger was more of, like, a common theme or um, you had, like, even though you were working your program, you might have had thoughts or something of, like, you know, the anger must be wrong um, instead of, like, just learning how to sit instead of seeing it as you just learning how to sit with those feelings. Um, I don't know. I feel like this might be something that, like, once I'm at a year, I'll look back and know what I was going through. But right now I just feel, like, crazy and angry and um, not really sure um, what I have to offer to groups. So... I really don't know if that's a question, but if you can remember in your experience, like certain times were different, um, I don't know, emotions were more of a, a common theme in your life in your first year, that would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, hi, Hillary. It's Steve. First of all, congratulations. Three months is huge. That is, that is a miracle in and of itself. Um, anger, anger has been a big part of my life um, for what I can't remember for a long time um, my wife would ask who are you angry at right because I would find myself being um, uh, um, provoked by the smallest things right and it really um, <laughs> let's see how do I say this there, there are so many 
uh, first of all, in, in my own experience, I tend to get the angriest fastest when I am witnessing something that I played a role in. And I, I have no idea if, that, if, if that's um, part of your situation, but I was a really, really guilty of you spot it, you got it. And um, the other thing that was triggering a lot of anger was just I had all of these expectations of the way it should go, right? And I, um, I needed to remind myself that I wasn't, I'm not architecting the way it should go anymore. And the minute, not the minute, it was a, it was a very progressive, slow process. I take that back. But as I started to kind of reconcile myself to I'm not going to be able to write this play from beginning to end with everything going the way I want, the frustrations definitely diminished. Um, but the, um, the uh, comfort and calm um, that I found in, in kind of um, turning the, con the control over to something else um, definitely helped me, at least with some of my, my anger and frustration. This is Paul. I have a question. Go ahead. Hi, Paul. Excuse the, excuse the neighbor's lawnmower. Um, when you did your fourth step on the fourth column, when you listed uh, what did this affect, like uh, uh, security, financial security, circulation, and all that, how did you know what to put in there? Did you just, whatever came to mind, did your sponsor give you a list of uh, uh, things to pick from or? Yeah, so that column had a couple of sub-columns um, taken out of the big book, and I recognized some of the some of the um, phrases you mentioned. And sometimes I got it right, sometimes I didn't. Um, I'll tell you the the precision of actually diagnosing each one of those in terms of whether it was my self-esteem or my pocketbook or mm -hmm. my sex relations that didn't matter so much. Um, as, as getting it out in the open. Um, so when I go through that inventory now with sponsees, sometimes I challenge them, but we're, I'm really just kind of focusing on getting the... Um, I, I don't think that those are necessarily exhaustively um, necessary to have 100% correct to remove the block. All right, thanks. This is Paul from Illinois. Can I ask a question? Hi, Paul. Hey, uh, thanks a lot. Excellent, excellent talk. Uh, I'm definitely of the same uh, mind of uh, doing the uh, steps out of the big book. And uh, I, I noticed that you uh, introduced yourself as recovered, which the big book tells us to. Uh, we should be introduced as recovered. And in the uh, foreword, it also talks about how we have recovered um, can you uh, talk about that? And uh, for me, it's, you know, the obsession has been lifted, and that's what I consider, you know, to be recovered from. Uh, but can you talk about that? Yeah, and, and you know, talk, talk about potential sources for provocation within a 12-step meeting. That's, that's a big one, and I have to be careful with it. Um, a lot of people have been taught to use recovering um, for various reasons. Um, and I, um, I, I feel like I am um, on a daily, <laughs> on a daily program. I'm, I'm safe um, for only so long as I, I keep the program close and the higher power close. 
So while I might use the word recovered, I'm not cured. Um, the obsession has the obsession has lift, has lifted for me. Um, I've I'm able to um, withstand threats to that that a year ago I, I certainly couldn't. Um, so, but I need to be careful because I um, y- using that word can upset people, um, and it can um, it can make them think that using the word recovering is is insufficient in some way and it's 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 whatever it's whatever is working and whatever your sponsor is telling you to do. This is what my sponsor said to me, and it seems to be working so far. Um, so, recovered does not equal cured. Um, it means just as you said that um, I've been able to lift the obsession today. Can you describe a little bit about going through your inventories in, on your step five with your sponsor? Yes. What would you like to know? Well, we do it a little bit differently. So I just wanted to know, I mean, did you just go through every resentment? Did you go through every fear? Your step, I mean, what did, you, what did that look like when you went through your step five? Three inventories, fear, resentments, and misconduct. And I can't remember, I don't think he was particularly, stri- uh, uh, what's the word, um, specific about which one to do first. Um, but I seem to recall doing resentments first and seeing that resentment for my dad pop up there. Um, the, uh, the fear was, um, just two columns. Um, what is my fear and why do I have it? And some of the, some of the, um, reasons could be multiple trying to find my inventories here. And then the, um, the misconduct and the resentments, those um, columns we were talking about with Paul were taken straight out of the big book in terms of the particular parts of me that were affected by it. So there was nothing that wasn't contained in the big book. I'm happy to forward uh, my forms to you if you want. Um, and uh, they were simple. Um, yeah, there was, no, there was no complex workbook. Um, there were three sheets. Okay, cool. All right, does anybody else have a last-minute question for Speed? Because we are at the end of our time. This is Brian, Sexaholic in Anchorage. Steve, I, thanks for your um, service, and I appreciated uh, your talk a lot. I wanted to ask you a question about your defects, how you kind of work those. Um, you mentioned you kind of wrote them down. You wrote the opposites to those um, out would you simply kind of meditate on those like in your, when you're doing your daily meditation or how would you practically work those steps um, in your program? Would it be something you do to inventory on at the end of the day? Like you would look at those. Um, I'd appreciate your feedback on that. Thanks. Yeah. Hi, that's a good question. Uh, I, I have a, I have a confession. A few months ago, I realized that while step seven, we asked for God to remove our defects, um, that some of them were not being removed, right? And that I, <laughs> uh, and while I was, you know, watching out for certain behaviors, that I, that I needed to actually watch out for particular defects and. Um, I think that they come, they definitely come up in the review of the day at night in the 11th step. Um, it, just the way my, my biochemistry works, the mornings tend to be clearer for me. So a lot of times the morning after things will, 
things will occur to me where um, a particular defect um, made itself apparent in some conduct that I needed to um, repair, um, confess to someone and repair. Um, and I guess, you know, just from an active recovery standpoint, the 10th step process is really where I find them the most. Like, why did I just, you know, I, I just behaved in a way that I don't think is appropriate. Why did I do that? Was it fearful? Am I resentful to someone for, um, for something? Or have I done something that I need to apologize for? Um, and then I try to hang a, hang a label on it. Um, and I have to say it's, it's, it's progressive for sure, but um, I'm able to, I can count a handful in the last couple of weeks of occasions where on the fly, real time, I've been able to change my behavior from, from, the, um, from the defect to the asset, or at least try to, um, which I, if you knew me a year ago, that would just be the most incredible thing. I mean, it's just a miracle that I'm able to even be cognizant of it, let alone neutralize it or try to do something more positive instead. Um, so I, the short answer is 10, steps 10 and 11. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. Everybody at this time, um, you're welcome to stay in that parking lot, but we will close out. I'd just uh, like to ask Steve, could you close this out in a program prayer, or the Lord's Prayer, or the program prayer of your choosing? I have just the prayer. After a moment of silence for those who are still suffering, I'd like to close out with the uh, Mother Teresa Anyway Prayer. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish or ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it because you're worth it. Steve, thank you. For Steve, your... could you say again the name of that prayer? That's called the Anyway Prayer, and rumor has it it was on Mother Teresa's uh, orphanage in Calcutta written on the wall. So you can also find it under Mother Teresa's prayer. Thank you. All right, Steve. Well, thank you for being our speaker today and conducting this workshop for us. It was very valuable. I'll go ahead and stop the recording now, but uh, appreciate you, Steve. Thank you. Appreciate all of you. Thank you, Steve.